You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Scott, I got a movie pitch for you. Great. Hit me with it. Hang on a second, boys. Founder of the Alberta Podcast Network, Karen Unland, what are you doing here? Well, in honor of your 100th episode, I wanted to give you guys a gift. Oh, that's nice of you. What is it? I've brought your original host, Colin McIntyre, back to your show using my interdimensional podcast portal. Hey, guys. Incredible. You have an interdimensional podcast portal. Yeah, they give them out to all the popular podcast hosts. Oh, ours must have gotten lost in the mail then. Sure. Anyway, have a great show. Where does she get those wonderful toys? Hey, I have a pitch for a Tim Burton Batman. I I have have some some notes. notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Uh, And today we are discussing the uh, cinematic classic... 1989's Batman, but uh, frankly, we're we're kind of burying the lead with with Batman here. Uh, rarely is Batman not the main main event, um, but in, <laughs> in this case, uh, take a, take a hike, Bruce. We'll get to you in a minute. Uh, this is our 100th movie review. No, fix. notarizing. <laughs> yeah, fix. 100th, 100th movie fix, uh, and we are joined today uh, by the uh, founder of this podcast, along with Greg, uh, one of the original hosts, the original host, uh, Colin McIntyre. Hello, Colin. Gentlemen, uh, I am so pleased and honored to be here. It's uh, Thank you very much for having me on this uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, world-bending occasion. <laughs> Colin, when you started this podcast, did you ever expect that it would make it to a hundred movie fixes? And also, did you expect you would not be part of the podcast after? About uh, <laughs> no, and no, I think, and I think, as I recall, like so, when uh, when originally when Greg and I were talking about this, we we kind of talked about it in this idea of of, of seasons, right? Like like a TV show, and I think it was just kind of just like. Well, let's just do a season and let's see how it goes. And if we like want to keep doing it, we'll keep doing it. And and so yeah, I don't. I didn't expect like um, you, Greg. You and I we had a chat not that long ago, and you're, this is like this was we started this like the, this podcast started six years ago. Was that what it was? That's right. Yeah. Gosh, does anyone remember the world from six years ago? Because I, I sure don't. <laughs> oh, good. So yeah, I think like yeah, the first recording was like on my kitchen table uh, in our, our little apartment downtown. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I think everyone was around uh, like that old shitty Yeti mic, that silver one that everyone <laughs> yeah, has. That's yeah. terrible. Just, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think when I am currently using to record this podcast, yes. <laughs> yeah, but no, like super. So I think yeah, I think even as far as podcasts go, I mean, like how many podcasts you can get to one hundred episodes, right? So I think this is like so. Congratulations to you guys! Like you guys have have, have uh, you know taken row with it, and I think uh, yeah, I think this is pretty awesome to get to one hundred episodes. Well, well like, we one hundred fixes. Um, 
We had 140 some. Episodes oh right, yeah, the side notes. Yeah, some yeah, all yeah. the side notes. Yeah, yeah. 100 yeah. fixes. Yeah, it's still still pretty good. Yeah. So 100 full episodes, I guess we'll call them. <laughs> I don't, and I and like it, we had you know Karen Unlin off the top in a cameo role in the intro there, and you know we honestly, I I I kind of doubt that we would have gotten as far as we ha- would have without the Alberta Podcast Network yeah. because like you know uh, them setting up you know uh the the network for local creatives and allowing us to defer the costs of hosting and equipment and those kind of things it made such a huge difference and just like you know I, I it would be really difficult to keep doing the show as passionate as we are about it um at, at a loss for yeah. you know six years straight you know it, you know eventually that starts to hurt so yeah it's it, it's it's a huge thing for us uh, that we were that, that we were taken on so early by the by the podcast network for sure. Now is there no I have I have the question from my end is that is there like an Alberta podcast network like Centennial Club? Like do you guys all get like special smoking jackets now? <laughs> kind of like Saturday Night Live like five host club like that sort of thing? Hopefully our interdimensional portal is on the way. Oh yeah. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> I mean that that's quantum kickflip. We've got we got a bunch of those. That's a little rough. It's my other podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's, uh, it's great. What was the what was some of the criteria for the movies? Like, was it always mediocre movies? Like, what went into deciding what those first movies were going to be? I think that was my my vision had always been. Uh, well, really, the first episode was Man of Steel, and that was at the time that was a movie I kept thinking about. That just like cinematically i liked it you know it was like it was just a really interesting movie but like you know the the script was just not good it just didn't come together and i I often thought about like what would make that a better movie and that germ started to churn into like what the what the podcast became and eventually it was our first episode as well um so yeah like i'd always kind of envisioned you know movies that were kind of just not great and in, in sort of that mediocre sweet spot yeah, and I think um, yeah, I think it just even like yeah, just yeah, like movies that were. I think I think I, I've always thought this sweet spot was yeah, like like, and I think Man of Steel was a good example. It was a was a very big, very popular movie, uh, but yeah, but wasn't a great movie. So I think that was the one thing I kind of liked about the podcast and, and and just sort of being able to explore is okay, why are these movies? They're not great. So what what's what's you know what's uh, how can we make them better movies? But like yeah, but they're all obviously also like very popular as well. So. So yeah, I think it was just like, and I think uh, there's a plethora of those uh, uh, of those movies out there, right? Where it's like big budget, uh, you know, pretty big, you know, you know, characters or well-known stories and stuff like that, or just yeah, just very big, massive movies that are just yeah, kind of stinkers, and just uh, <laughs> yeah, and how to make them just a, a a little bit yeah, a little bit better. You know, the, the one thing that made me feel really good about the show this this was a few episodes ago. We had uh, Olav on, and he had mentioned something about how our show um, comes at movies from a really constructive uh, approach. Like, you know, we don't we don't really, you know, sometimes we take dumps on movies, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's more it's it's more coming at it from sort of like a a love of film than it is like just like just shitting on a movie just to shit on it and that like i was i really appreciated that compliment because it just it made me it made me feel sort of justified in like that the the concept was really sound from the outset 
Yeah, I think he had said that, uh, you know, every movie has something worth salvaging or there's has something yeah. good about it that we can we can try to build off of and improve. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I think that was even even the criteria too early on where it was just like, okay, there's a certain level of movie. Like, well, they could, like it was just like, yeah, we just we can't we can't fix this because we just need to blow it up and just restart it from scratch. So I think yeah. it was, um, yeah, it's like, okay, it has to be. And I think we even had like, yeah, discussions, uh, you know, when we're talking about which movies to do. Like there were some movies that were just like, no, 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 this can't be saved. We have to like literally redo everything. <laughs> so it's like, okay, no, there has to be the bones have to be there to kind of improve yeah, it. And we actually, were... yeah, and that's actually one of my favorite things about this podcast. Uh, and I think, and I think uh, uh, it makes a good point. Just um, yeah, like the, the 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 construction. And I think if for listeners who go back to older episodes, like the best parts of like it's yeah, we make fun of it, and 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 you guys make fun of it. Uh, but it's like it's where the where the movie gets rebuilt. I think is is always really solid, and I think there's always like some great ideas and some great suggestions there. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd watch the heck out of that rebuild movie. I uh, I will say that I think it was the first time I guessed it on the uh, on an episode where I was explicitly told page one rewrites were not allowed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, had, yeah. <laughs> I had to take what was what was already there and punch yeah. it up. Um, and on that note, like even the the process over the course of a hundred movie fixes has evolved because originally everybody came to the table with their own blueprint for how to fix the movie. And over time, it's kind of morphed into a much more collaborative sort yeah. of round table. And I must say that that collabor that collaborative element to this podcast is one of the things that's kept me on it because it's, it's a lot of fun to work with you guys and with our guests episode after episode. Yeah. And yeah. And brainstorm together and come up with something like magical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I, we almost like I, I, I was thinking about it the, the, the other day about like the kind of niches that we've sort of fallen into. Like um, mm. Scott usually has like the big idea, you know, <laughs> like he's got like he and he'll usually start the, the fixes off and he's got like a pretty uh, good breadth of, of what he wants to do with the film. And I typically have smaller fixes or working off something that Scott's doing, um, or I get fixated on one particular scene that I really want to uh, to change. And I and I and I was like, Liam's kind of like the wild card because <laughs> like occasionally he does exact he'll do the things that I do, um, but also occasionally he's got like a, like a massive amount of notes, just like it's just like a catalog of notes that he's ready to that he's ready to lay down. So yeah, it's a, it's a really great sort of mixture that we've uh, managed to to come together on. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I like the roundtable element of it as well. Some for some movies, I was trying to think like, yeah, what is what is my style? And I, I think it is just like it, it, once you start moving pieces around, you have to like pick up the the part you've. That's actually what what I ran into with with Batman here. I'm like, oh, if I move too much, I start making problems for myself. Yeah. And oftentimes, how much notes I have is either how much of that or how earnestly am I engaging with the movie? Where I'm like, this movie didn't even put this much effort in. Why am I gonna? Um, right. <laughs> so those are those are sometimes my favorite episodes, Liam. It's just like where you've decided that like the movie has offended you <laughs> in some way. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. You're carrying on the grand tradition left by Colin who regularly would mm -hmm. suggest just make it a musical and yes, those are not? sometimes those are some kind times kind of the suggestions you bring where you're just like you know what let's do something crazy you know what here's here's just a ludicrous idea let's roll with it and sometimes it works really well <laughs> yeah 
I remember specifically on the on like the superhero type movies, like um, uh, Colin would have some sort of like deep lore type uh, addition that he always wanted to add. Like that, I'm thinking specifically of um, was it was it Justice League or something like that, where your idea was like you need it. We need to kill a Green Lantern, yep. as I recall, right? Yep. <laughs> you need to kill a Green like Lantern. <laughs> yep. And I think that eventually happened, didn't it? Didn't the Zack Snyder? Did they kill a Green Lantern in the Zack Snyder extended? Uh, yes, because? yes, they did actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, so I'm really Zack Snyder this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> You've made some no, choices. No, Zack, get away! You've yeah, had your I, chance with Batman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shoot, shoot. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I guess that that brings us to to today. Uh, uh, Colin, what what made you suggest uh, Tim Burton's Batman? Two things. Uh, so I guess the um, I thought it might be. I thought it might be a good idea. So actually, yeah, Greg was like, you know, what, you know, here's some movies we're thinking of. Which movie you're thinking of? And I kind of thought, actually, it was three things. So, uh, so <laughs> number one, Batman obviously is is kind of in the now right now with obviously with the new film. Uh, we've got Michael Keaton coming back as Batman in the whatever. It's like the, what flat is it? The Flash or Batgirl? I yep. can't keep it straight. It's he's coming Flash. back. There's other probably other Bat things happening. So that was one. So I thought, okay, it's somewhat topical. Number two, I thought it would might be a nice sort of like uh, since the the podcast started with Man of Steel to maybe like circle back around to Batman, right? And I think mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bat- I think Batman's been a recurring character on this podcast in various shapes and forms. So, for um, sure. But number three, I would say um, Batman was like the first time I'd ever watched a movie, and I was ten when Batman came out. That's how old I am. Like so, uh, so, and it was the first time I watched a movie and went something's not right here and that was like the so like the so the germs and the seed of i have i have some notes planted in my brain at 10 years old and i was you know batman fan watching a batman movie going like and even now even when i watch it i'm like there's something there's something it's uh it is it's great it's wonderful i think it's well loved i think it's it deserves that love but it's there's always there's just something that's just and the way it's built, it's sort of just always kind of nagged at me. And I and I still even yeah. then, you know, even watching it with with my I have some notes brain, like I still can't quite put my finger on what it's missing. There's list little things, but it's sort of like yeah. But I thought you know, hey, what a great and also like okay, I'm gonna leave it up to the experts now. A hundred episodes, a uh, hundred uh, movie fixes in, uh, and you just yeah leverage leverage uh, your guys's brain. So that was kind of like uh, yeah my uh, my thought process. I, I, I will pause. It, I will pause it. This like I it's. It reminds me a little bit of my re- rewatch of Austin Powers when I, I watched it, I think sometime last year. And it's like the plot of Austin Powers is so loose and it's just like a series of funny scenes sort of like loosely strung together. And Batman is like somewhat similar yeah. in that like it's pretty loose for the most part, but the scenes that are strung together are con- are you know individually are awesome <laughs> you know but it's just like that maybe the 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 bones like the tissue connecting them isn't as strong as it could be yeah yeah well i like and i watched it i actually watched it in like in little chunks as well like i didn't sit down and watch the whole thing i just watched it in like little little bits and even then it was like it was really apparent it was sort of just like what's happening like like yeah you sort of forget <laughs> when you watch it in chunks you kind of forget what happened it's all but, but but almost like nothing that happened previously has any bearing with what's happening now it's kind of what that's uh, in, that's interesting because i have obviously seen this movie yeah but i was like when i sat down and watched it start to finish for the podcast i was like 
I don't think I've watched this movie start to finish since I was a kid. Yeah. I was two in this movie. Came there out, you, there so you go. <laughs> saw it on home video yeah. as a wee youngster. <laughs> um, and then on television for the rest of my life in bits and pieces. Yeah. Like this and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I've probably seen a dozen times, 24 times, you know, 48 times, like yeah. little chunks of it. Um, so this is my first time with it um, all the way through since being a kid. Scott, what was your experience like watching it? I was just surprised at how well it held up, honestly. Um, <laughs> I I have also seen it probably half a dozen times or more, but it has definitely been many years since I've watched it. Mm -hmm. And I was simultaneously taken by how much of it I remembered and surprised at how much of it I didn't. Yeah, me, me <laughs> too. Like, yeah, like oh. there's, yeah. There's like like large chunk of the movies of like yeah is like burned into my brain. I'm like oh yeah of course this is what he says here. But then it was like I had, I had like I had no idea he actually like there was like that scene in like early on in the Batcave. I'm like I don't remember this at all. Just hanging out and like showing the Batcave. Like when did this happen? Like is this a new yeah. cut? Like what's happening? No, I definitely got a bunch of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I was uh, I was going in expecting it to be weaker than it was. And uh, I was surprised at how well it hangs together, actually, for a 1989 Tim Burton <laughs> Batman movie. Yeah. It's, yeah, this it's movie can hang, for sure. Uh, of course, uh, directed by Tim Burton, written by Warren Skarin uh, of Beetlejuice fame, uh, based on characters by Bob Kane, uh, and starring Michael Keaton as Batman, Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Kim Basinger as Vicki Vale, Pat Hingle as old Commissioner Gordon, Billy D. Williams as a tragically full-faced Harvey Dent, <laughs> and Michael Goff as Alfred. We were robbed of Billy D. Williams' Two-Face by Joel Schumacher, and yeah. I will never forgive him for that. I don't care that he's dead. I am speaking ill of him. He robbed yeah. us of Billy D. Williams' Two-Face. You you did that, Joel Schumacher. You Bat did that to you. You did that. Bat nipples and no... You know, yeah, Billy. D. I Williams. could forgive the bat nipples. I cannot forgive Billy D. Williams <laughs> getting kicked out of the role. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about Tim Blake Nelson in uh, The Incredible Hulk. Um, he he was they were setting him up to be the leader, and then it never happened. Uh, I don't I don't know who who to blame, so I'm just going to blame Bill Schumacher. <laughs> um, but shall we hit the trailer? Or? Yeah, let's go to the go to the trailer. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. My life is really complex. Winged freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. The city of Gotham is turning 200 and the festival celebrations are on. Or at least they would be if not for a chemically burned psychopathic clown terrorizing the city. The mayor enlists the services of District Attorney Harvey Dent and Police Commissioner Gordon to help throw his party. Harvey and Gordon also love parties and agree, but neither seem up to the task. They just don't love festivals enough. Fortunately for them, a mysterious vigilante lurks in the shadows of Gotham's sweeping black vaults and arches. The Batman, uh, Batman, turns out 
The Caped Crusader has a grudge against the clown prince of crime who is responsible for his parents' deaths. Bats must fight his way through randomly spawning henchmen to defeat his foe and save the festival. That's the thing that kept making me laugh when I was watching uh, that <laughs> was the the foes that just like jumped over fences and just appeared out of nowhere, or like in oh, yeah. the climax when uh, the Joker climbs the the tower by himself and then suddenly there's just a bunch of henchmen for Batman to fight at the top. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> the the best part of the Joker is that he keeps you guessing. He has henchmen just like stashed around the city for the eventuality he goes there and needs them to jump yeah. out. They they basically they're they're paid to just stay there and wait. In very yeah. stylish jackets. Yeah, very cool. Very cool team Joker jackets. Yeah, I do like those bomber jackets. Yeah. They're pretty cool. I was surprised Jack Nicholson got top billing. Like when the credits roll, his name comes up first. He was probably the biggest star coming into this yeah. movie. And I yeah. think I think uh, that was that was part of the condition of him being the movie was that like no 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 I'm doing this I'm first wow yeah that was uh, that was that was that was part of the deal among among many other things and, and winding back the clock like um, it was a bit of a controversy that Michael Keaton was cast as Batman at the time right because he was he was a comedic actor in like yeah so you know, comic book fans were not convinced yeah. that this would be a good chat casting choice the, the original comic book outrage i think there was something something i read that was like yeah like a like a like a petition with like fifty thousand signatures went to the studio <laughs> saying you can't have this guy as batman and uh something's never changed yeah either. just nerd outrage and just <laughs> everyone's <laughs> got their hot takes on batman yeah uh, the, the saving grace for 1989 is that it took a lot longer for yeah. you to receive those <laughs> those <laughs> messages well, when i get that stamp well, I'm going to put that on that piece of paper and mail it in. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be so mad. I will say, um, I am surprised at how restrained Tim Burton is in this movie. Like, it's it's very much a Tim Burton movie. You can tell it's a Tim Burton movie, but it's not a Tim Burton movie. And I would even go so far as to say that in comparison to the sequel, Batman Returns, it's less Tim Burton-y than that. That movie is much more Tim Burton-y. And it's surprising because this is right on the heels of Beetlejuice, which is again a very Tim Burton movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe because he's got he's got Jack Nicholson's dollars and egos in play. Like he's probably like, okay, this you know, one for me, one for them. Not maybe not that cynical, but like you got the keys to the 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 sports car, you don't drive it like an asshole. Um, <laughs> do it, do that in your own car. Like, well, I mean, he's he's. He's a pretty talented filmmaker. Oh. Like I, I think he knows, you know, yeah. he knows when to turn it on and when to turn it off. I guess. Like I mean, like he—that's sort of what I, I'm trying to say. I made it yeah. sound like he was, he was like, you know, holding back. But yeah, I just he's, I like his movies. Um, but. <laughs> yeah, like Planet of the Apes was not a very Tim Burton-y type movie. You can argue it's not a very good one either. But like you know, it's like he he has he's got the ability to like move around a little bit. Um, but you're you're right. Like you you he's known for that particular style so obviously like you're you're expecting some of that sort of flair and there's no stop motion in it as i recall <laughs> that well a little bit there, of animation there's a little bit of animation there's a little bit of weird animation yeah, yeah. um that kind of has like a tim burtony feel to it oh the the armor on the car no he yeah would that be stop motion that one might be stop motion the i was thinking of the first time you see uh batman he's walking out of the light into a, into a doorway and you see his like he see his cape but it's clearly like animated they yeah. mm. they wanted it to wave a certain way and that's not it was just not something they could pull off 
with the uh, uh, with the costume, I think, because I think the costumes like it looked like it had like rigs in it, like it's just mostly made of like wires and stuff like that to make sure that it kind of puffed out the appropriate way. Yeah, the the costume really overshadows any Michael Keaton as Batman. Like Michael Keaton made a good Bruce Wayne. I anyone in that suit is just a person wearing that suit, and then it's Batman. Like the suit was the was the Batman. The suit also was limiting, very obviously. Like they <laughs> they could have done a better job of designing a suit that allowed him it's like to an move. Inch in it. thick of rubber, like yeah. it's yeah. crazy. Like he must have been sweating his balls the, off in that suit. The Batman head turn, where you actually have to turn all your body all the way around to look at something. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, that's sort of what I'm saying. Is it gets the kind of like the Kenny from South Park vibe, where it's like you lose the actor under the suit. And so, mm-hmm. like, any time where I'm like, oh, Michael Keaton's doing a great job, it was as Bruce Wayne, and then it's a guy in a suit. Like, you can't, you don't get a lot of Michael Keaton through that suit. Could yeah. have been anybody in the suit, yeah. Yeah. The, the choreography is pretty understated whenever Batman is, is fighting. You notice that, like, the villains are doing most of the really cool stuff. Batman's <laughs> kind of like, uh, there's there's quite a few times where Batman just simply, like, puts out his, his hand and just, like, yeah. thunk. <laughs> And boy, does he use that grappling hook a lot. That is his go-to. That's like his superpower. It's like the grappling hook. <laughs> the grapple hook, the gun that shoots the two grappling hooks, the yep. gun that shoots like the bolo thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like gosh They're darn, all various, that's great. Various forms of grapple. Yeah. <laughs> Where does he get those wonderful toys? Probably the same place. Probably all from the grappling hook place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> from Wayne Enterprises grappling hooks yeah. division. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson is very good in this movie, you guys. Like, better than I remember him being in this movie. He is actually, like, he's clearly having a lot of fun, um, which works for the performance. Uh, He's exactly the right level of over the top. Um, He's legitimately scary in a lot of places. Like, I think it's a great performance of the Joker. I think it might be top-tier Joker. Here's my my question for you guys about him and the Joker. Is... He's so good as the Joker. Does he, is he literally elevating the entire film? Like if you take him out, is it not a great movie or is it like, yeah. And that's, and that was kind of my thought I was, I was watching it and I'm just wondering yeah. like, yeah, no, really? Yeah. Well, both you were all coming down hard on. We love Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah. I was, I couldn't not see Jack Nicholson and then the few times where I could see through Jack Nicholson, it was Cesar Romero. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's very much very some yeah some Cesar Romero vibes. Yeah, that's that's actually something that I quite liked about it is that he was definitely channeling some of that '60s clown prince of crime in a way mm-hmm. that, especially in the final fight, like with him with all the stupid gags and laughing to himself about all of his stupid jokes. I was like, this is campy '60s Batman, and I'm here for it. I love it. Because that's a, that's a level of the Joker that you just don't see anymore. The Joker is just always portrayed as a psychopath now, and it's mm-hmm. it's almost refreshing to go back to the start and see him as like not just a crazy person, yeah. but a crazy person who thinks a he's jokester. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a homicidal artist, as he says, he, as he yeah. described himself. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, actually, I quite like that. I was like, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I'm just worn out of the Joker as uh, as like a murderous psychopath. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's possible. Well, yeah. it's it's something in modern uh, superhero movies that I I don't think you get enough of where the villain is also fun, you know? Like, 
like the the in comparison to this to this latest Batman movie that we that we got, which is good, is but you know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of levity to the villain or anything mm-hmm. like that, right? Like it's it's a good the villain's fine, the villain is good, but like it, you're not um, having a real great time when they're on the screen. And, and in this Batman movie, every time uh, the Joker's on screen, it's kind of a blast. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he does a bad job. I just couldn't not see Jack Nicholson, and I, it was distracting. And I, I feel like any tell anybody to be Caesar Romero and it, and give him that great costume, I think would have done a good job. And I'm, I am lukewarm on uh, on Jack Nicholson in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I realize I am very much in the minority. I, uh, time the I internet, you guys. I'm aware. <laughs> the I found I did find his makeup slightly distracting. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, about how he keeps taking it on and off and on again? Yeah. No, just just the prosthetic, like the 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 the, the prosthetic grin. I just yeah. like it just it just looked a little too unnatural to me, like cuz it doesn't move at all. It's just like, yeah, it just kind of uh, it seemed to improve as the movie went on. The, yeah, the weirdly. The got better. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's just we got used to it, but the first time I saw it, I was also like, "Ooh, am I okay with that?" And by the end of the movie, I was like, "I think I'm okay with that." So, <laughs> Yeah, you know, here's the thing, though. Like, I was, and I realized I was the guy just a moment ago saying I could see him channeling some of that campy 60s Cesar Romero Joker. He still put his own stamp on it. Um, because Cesar Romero was never as, never as menacing as no. Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson is in this movie. And there are some some scenes where he is legitimately scary. And where you're like, oh, you in danger, girl. Like, you need to get out of there. Um and that's something that Cesar Romero's Joker never really was. And so I I do feel like he's bringing something new to the character in this movie. It's not just him putting on Cesar Romero's Joker. It's him um what's the word I'm looking for? It's him evolving that character. It's him borrowing from that and building on it. As opposed to just, just creating and, a new Joker and, and just whole cloth. Generally having a great time with it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, like just having fun. Yeah, he's having a lot of fun. It seems like yeah, I there's there's some subtle uh, moments of his performance that I absolutely love. Like in the climax when he's um, kicking the their hands off to try and make them fall off the the building when they're just hanging on to the ledge, uh, Batman and Vicky Vale. I mean, yeah. um, he like that whole thing where he's just sort of like dancing up and down on this on this short ledge and there's a moment where he almost falls and he just kind of falls back into it and you get this this awesome this awesome grin of like oh i almost i almost bought it there it's just like it's it's so good like all the little little ticks that he has and everything i just i love that performance so much the score Mm. by danny elfman like there's a reason why it's still (laughs) batman's music today Yes. Like when you yeah. when you see Batman show up, you still get the same leap motif because Danny Elfman nailed it. Hundred percent, hundred hundred and ten percent. Why why they why you would want want that job? Like, hey, we're making a new Batman movie. Do you want to make some music? No, we'll just use Danny Elfman's music. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, but yeah, I mean, I can. It won't work, but I can. Sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You pay me. And then I'll go and call Danny Elfman and just <laughs> yeah, pay him just the royalties like, out of that. To just use his music again. Yeah. That's what we'll do. We'll re-record uh, it using xylophones or something. But <laughs> uh, Speaking of music, I have spent the whole week, a uh, couple couple rotations, listening to the Prince album that accompanied this film. 
uh, just for just for a, to to make sure I was doing my homework. Um, it's a uh, it's a weird album. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, samples of dialogue from the movie over Prince music. It's a strange album, but it, there's a couple a couple songs on there that slap. Was were there and were those written specific for the movie, or they were just yeah? They- it, the cover of the album is the 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 yellow and black symbol oh, okay. of the movie. Yeah, because I was and wondering. It's called I was, Batman or Prince Batman. Yeah, I was wondering about that because yeah, because I because I remember that being a, a big deal like back in the day, and then obviously rewatching it, it was kind of, and I tried to pay attention to the music, and it's sort of like I wasn't sure whether is this for the movie or is it just sort of like well these these songs that Prince made kind of match up like Party Man or whatever yeah. like it was like kind of matches up yeah, but yeah. not quite but yeah sure. Yeah, there's definitely a matchup because it like the first song is called "The Future" and it's a bunch of clips of Jack Nicholson going "Think about the future." Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and so it is. It is like a companion piece because none of the songs are in the movie. Oh, hmm. um, weird. None of them. Like <laughs> it's strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just that that cultural moment. Just like we're we're hit. This is the summer of Batman. Yeah. Like, uh, I I do feel like we we should comment on uh kid basinger as vicky vale and as that that sort of love interest character did how do, how do we all feel about about that yeah. just to not gloss over the only female character mm. <laughs> yeah, i like a like a lot of sorry go ahead scott oh no i i i like her in the role i think she's an interesting character i don't mind the romance with her and bruce i think and i mean one of my changes just to get a little ahead of myself would be i don't think joker should get obsessed with her I think that's weird and unnecessary. Uh, but I also don't think Knox needs to be there. And I, I like uh, Knox as a character. 110%. Yeah, that's I actually like Knox as a character, but if you're going to have Vicky mm-hmm. Vale be there, just make her the reporter. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of mine. I, uh, <laughs> Again, just to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Like, <laughs> when it, when, when, it, when I was an angry comic book nerd, I actually did not like her at all because I felt that Joker and Batman is like, it's like one of the best hero villain combinations, like in all of basically all of the genre. And I kind of felt that she kind of interfered with that, that I wanted more Batman and more Joker. You wanted uh, the romance you know. between Batman and Joker. And she was kind of interfering in that. I get <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. Right. I just, just let, let them be together. Um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, I feel like now watching him is sort of like, yeah, I'm on the same, like, I think she has a place in the movie and obviously, yeah, she's the damsel in distress and whatever that was the eighties. Right. So, I mean, I feel like that's just a time period thing, but yeah, I think, I think she can be there. I think, yeah, I think that she just needs, yeah, just some minor changes, minor tweaks. Um, gosh, though, I mean, she's a photographer. Like she's like the, her apartment is just, it's a mansion. Uh, <laughs> just, she shows up to like, yeah, like the scene where she shows up and she introduces himself, introduces herself to Knox where she's like, Hey, I'm your, I want to be your partner. And all of a sudden she's like, I've got like invites to this party of Bruce Wayne's. It's like, did you just show up in town and just someone drop those in your lap? Like, <laughs> like superstar, like celebrity photographer. I'm like this, this is amazing. Like, and then she doesn't yeah. take a picture for the first hour of the movie. So it was sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think I wrote down, it was like, yeah, one hour. Yeah. One hour, 10. She was like, finally takes a photo of something. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think it's unfortunate that like a good chunk of um, what is written for is just sort of being afraid of whatever is happening on in front of her kind of thing. Like whether it's yeah. 
the Joker or whether it's, you know, um, you know, Batman, uh, danger you know, saving her and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Batman's yeah, it's crazy like, driving. Yeah. Like there's, um, there's no, there's no point where I feel like the, the character is like a confident professional. And I don't think that that's, that's not Kim Basinger's fault. This is just like the way that the character is written. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 I like, uh, I like this idea of just giving her all of Knox's stuff to do. Yeah. Um, more or less. Might yeah. Be the, might be some. And I think that's a good as place any to, to hop into our fixes then. Let's let's get into it. On this episode of I Have Some Notes, we'd like to tell you about what's new with our friends at Tell a Story Hive. Calling on all new and emerging creators in BC and Alberta, Tell a Story Hive's all-access documentary edition is funding 40 creators with $20,000 each in production funding, mentorship, training, and distribution on Telesoptic TV. Pitch any documentary idea you're passionate about, and you could be in the running to join the Story Hive community. Apply by May 30th at storyhive.com apply. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival running in cinema from May 6th to the 14th and online from May 5th to 15th. NWF is thrilled to finally be able to bring the festival back to Metro Cinema this year with an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs and a few fun surprises. This year's festival is a hybrid affair with over 20 films screening at Metro Cinema, including the acclaimed Nick Cave music doc, This Much I Know To Be True, along with dozens feature and short films screening online. Award-winning filmmaker Alexandra O'Philippe will also be in town to present his filmmaking masterclass. This event will be open to the public and is an absolute must for anyone who's ever dreamed of making their own film. Check out the full Northwest Fest film lineup and purchase all-access passes or single tickets at northwestfest.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We have fixes for Tim Burton's Batman. Um, I want to start because I think no one's going to like it and we can just move on. Uh, (laughs) Liam's going to cut Batman right off the hop. Right out of the hop. Make it a Uh, Superman (laughs) You know what? Actually, that's changed my mind. That's my note. They should have been building a cinematic universe. They should have had people. Kim Basinger should have been reading The Daily Planet. There should have been some mention of Themyscira. Start building those cinematic universes Even, here's, 20 years later. Here's the weird thing, later. though. That would have been fun just as Easter eggs for comic fans, even if you weren't planning on building a cinematic universe. Out yeah. yeah, that would have been cool. Spe- speaking of, there was one uh, Easter egg I noticed this time around when I was watching it, is that when when Knox is handed the drawing of the man bat as a, uh, as a joke... Uh, when they're making fun of him for chasing down the Batman, it's signed by Bob Kane. Yeah, it's a Bob Kane drawing. That's right. Cute. Um, don't know. My my suggestion. Um, uh, well, first of all, this is just just a cut that I think we need to make. It really bothered me how many times the Joker puts on Caucasian makeup to go back to being a normal looking guy with a weird smile. Uh, it happens two or three times. Like once to try to like sneak into a crowd or get away with something i get but it is every time we see him he is continually covering up his white joker face but still with the big weird smile and i'm like just own it just like it was such a it was very distracting here's, and i yeah here's the thing the one time i think that it works is at the art gallery when he's trying to look normal for vicky vale and right. then, especially because then you get the reveal where she throws the water in his face and the makeup comes off and it's the Joker face underneath. I think that works. The other times, I agree. It it, 
didn't really need to happen. Yeah, it was I'd just actually, Jack Nicholson didn't want to put on the makeup that day. Yeah, <laughs> I'd actually, and I'd actually had forgotten that actually. Like, you make a good point. Like, I'd forgotten actually that how often he does that. Right. Like, I remember, like, like I can, I can remember the, the TV scene of when he's taking over the TV and he's like, "I'm going to throw the party and stuff like that." And I remember him, I've taken off my makeup. I remember that, but all the other ones I had forgotten about, and it was kind of like. Yeah, like he does this a lot. Like, what's what's going on? So I mean, like, so I can get behind that. Guy. That said, I like the TV appearance because he is so completely full of it. When yeah. he's like, "I've taken off my makeup." No, you've put on the makeup. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's that's actually really clever writing. What a villain! Yeah, <laughs> full of lies. Uh, so that's just my one cut, but my my main one. Um, if let's say. We live in a universe where everyone is as tepid uh, on Jack Nicholson as I am. Um, uh, I've, I've got some some convoluted moving scenes around, trying to get things done more efficiently that we can get to uh, if there's time. Uh, but I'm not even sure it it it. I, I think it pulls uh, t- too many things start falling out of place the more I move it around, and so I kind of I kind of bailed on my. Um, Act one rewrite essentially. <laughs> uh, so I'm just coming at you with a casting, re- a recasting. Sure. Uh, three alternative choices to Jack Nicholson as the Joker. One genuine, two really good, but with all the benefit of hindsight. That it's like, yeah, obviously, Liam, it's been 30, 30 some years since this movie came out. Of course, that'd be a great choice. Um, so my first real one. So Jack Nicholson, Tom Baker. Uh, the Doctor Who from the seventies, early eighties. That's an interesting suggestion. He's 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 got the kind of like weird clownish mannerisms. Um, I think he was restrained by the limitations of of British television in the seventies, and I think if you gave that that actor a a, a movie budget, he would have done something really cool and unique and memorable with it. He's in got a, a way, he's tall and lanky, and he's got. And, th- and I mean this with all due respect to Tom Baker. He's got the face for it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a creepy smile. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's kind of got a lower voice, but yep. I think that'd be fun if he then, if someone told him to cackle, if it was like, I'm, I'm low, I'm the Joker, and then he cackles. Uh, and I think it would have, he would have done, even if he hadn't done as good a job as Jack Nicholson, he would have, n- no one, no one would have known who he was. And so he would have just been the Joker. Whereas... It, you 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 can't tell me you guys didn't see Jack Nicholson as you're watching that movie. Like you can't see him fucking grinning at the Lakers and <laughs> you know get, filling out his bucket list. Like it, yeah. I will say this: if you cast Tom Baker as the Joker, you have to recast Batman because the star power needs to be in Batman then. Because no, no this is this is a fantasy myth. World no, no, I, I get that. I get that. I'm just saying, practically speaking, then you'd need to recast Batman as a big star. Sure. Yeah. So, so you can. I didn't. I couldn't come up with any better better Batmans, frankly, from no. that time period. Um. So can we just make Jack Nicholson the uh, Batman then? <laughs> <laughs> just swap it out. Sure. Why not? I'm vengeance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who, who are your other two uh, suggestions, Liam? <laughs> See, these my other two suggestions for alternate uh, Jokers in 1989. Uh, one would be Tom Waits, which so he was making movies in 1989. I believe it's called Candy Mountain is what he was working on that year. Uh, and I'm sure yeah. you all and our listeners famously know that the the Heath Ledger Joker performance was based on a Tom Waits interview hmm. that Heath Ledger saw, and a lot of like the choices Heath Ledger makes as the Joker is just based on Tom Waits. So, with all of my 2022 power of hindsight, 
let's have Tom Waits be the Joker. For for a more accessible Tom Waits, maybe think of Tom Waits as Renfield in Dracula. Yeah. Uh, for just kind of that level of kind of unhinged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was, he was, he's been an actor all through all the decades. So he's, hmm. he's, he could have, could have cast him. Uh, and then my third one again, with, with all the power of hindsight. Um, have you, have you all ever heard of a movie called, uh, hang on. Uh, I believe it's called Slipstream. It sounds familiar, but I might be thinking of Soda Stream. Slipstream. Yeah, it, yeah not <laughs> Soda Stream. I, even I had to double check it. Slipstream. Uh, Slipstream was a science fiction film from 1989. Uh, the first film after six years by Mark Hamill. Uh, oh, yeah. So he was also working as an actor in 1989. Why don't you just get... He's, in my opinion, Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger are the only two guys who have ever absolutely nailed the Joker. Um, they're just, in my mind, those are the two guys who are the Joker. Uh, and no reason in 1989, uh, Mark Hamill couldn't have been opposite Michael Keaton as the Joker. Sorry, Heath Ledger. Hashtag not my Joker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A fine performance, but eh. it, oh, he's I definitive for me. I, I, I do agree that Mark Hamill's animated Joker is the definitive Joker, though. Yeah. But so yes, that is definitely my... hindsight casting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that is my fix for a problem that was, doesn't exist, and with all of the uh, <laughs> hindsight to back back it up. But that's thought I'd kick it off with that. According to uh, the internet trivia machine, uh, so Robin Williams was actually was was actually in talks to play this, um, but he was actually used kind of as bait in order to get Jack Nicholson. So when Nicholson got the part. Williams was furious, uh, refused to work for Warner Brothers for the next so many years until they apologized to him. Uh, and yeah, basically kind of took him like, yeah, he was refused to be on any sort of projects uh, uh, Bat- Batman related after that. So, yeah. Um, and then the other, the other interesting tidbit was that at one point, Tim Burton was looking at casting a very uh, unknown actor by the name of Willem Dafoe as the Joker. Willem Dafoe definitely also, and with all due respect to Willem Dafoe, yeah. has a face has, for the Joker. Has the Joker face. <laughs> has Joker face, yes. Yeah. I'm something of a homicide artist myself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Willem Dafoe would be a great Joker, for the record. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Uh, I I have trouble imagining Robin Williams as the Joker, though. I'm not going to lie. It would be a very different movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're putting him into a role where... Like you're asking him to be over the top, he, and like over yeah. the top, Robin Williams is something else, and it would not be the same as Jack Nicholson. No. That's for sure. Uh, and there would be a lot more ad libbing in this movie. Oh yeah, yep, for sure. <laughs> it, and I don't think it'd be scary. Like I don't think he'd. I don't think he could. He's just too damn likable. He's just too lovable. Didn't wasn't he scary in that one hour photo? Maybe he can turn it on. Oh. We'll never know because we never got to see him play the Joker. That's yep. Too bad. It, it would have been interesting at the very least. Not boring to watch that. I yeah. don't think. Well, I'm my first big fix uh, was obviously what we already said, which was roll Knox and Vicky Vale into the same character. Knox is Knox is fun, and I like him, and I like some of the back and forth between him and Vicky. But then it turns into another person who's in love with Vicky and that's already kind of gross with Joker and Batman. And I mean, it gives her more to do if she's also the investigative reporter in addition to just taking photos an hour and a half into the movie. Um, (laughs) My other one was, I don't, I don't like that. They, 
tied Joker into Batman's backstory. I think that that's unnecessary. Batman already has motivation for wanting to take down Joker. And I don't think you need to make it personal like that. I think that um, I, I honestly thought that it, it took me out of the movie a little bit um, because it was just like, this was, this was especially because it comes in so late. It's like a plot. It's like a third act plot twist Yeah, uh, that it's just like, we, I don't, I didn't need this. This didn't need to be a thing. I already buy that Batman wants to stop Joker. You didn't need to make it more personal. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think because it ha- yeah, it happens like what, like four minutes before the movie ends too. It's sort of just like, <laughs> yeah, did you did we need this confrontation now? Could we not have set this up earlier? Yeah, I I would even go as so far as to say we didn't even really need the flashback yeah. to his parents being killed. Yeah. Um, that I mean, again, this you got to remember this is the first time, other than you know Superman the movie, uh, really the like you got to hold people's hands on some of this stuff, and so I get I I like that they don't start with Martha uh, and Thomas Wayne being killed and we see Batman grow up to be Batman. <clears throat> I like that that's revealed later. I think you're right, Scott. It doesn't need to be there, but I can absolutely see the impetus of just wanting to kind of tell a nice complete story, like have everything fold back in nicely on itself. Um, so I'm okay with Vicki Vale finding out his backstory and the audience getting it through that. I just... I didn't. I didn't think that it needed that extra bit about the Joker having killed his parents. I yeah. It, it wasn't necessary. It didn't add anything for me. I think you can jettison it, and the movie doesn't lose anything for it. Yeah. It might have worked slightly better if had it been brought up a little bit earlier in the film. Maybe so yeah. You get get some time to ruminate on it. Like there's, um, you know, maybe you can make some vague hints to like it. You know, the guy who killed. Bruce Wayne's parents was some sort of gangster, so you get a you get a, a sense of like it yep. might be uh, Jack or Jack Napier, right? You could also have him say the because I think they only say it twice, and it is it might be a rule of three thing. And I also might be wrong, but that dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Yeah, he says it. Just introduced he that says earlier. it. Uh, he says it when he can when he talks to Bruce in Vicky's apartment just before Act Three starts. Yeah. And then okay. that's the thing that tips him off. But he's never said it before in the movie. Do you know where you put it earlier? Before he kills Glisten. Before he kills the the, the mobster. Yeah. So the, yeah, audience yeah. Has, yeah. the audience has heard it, but nobody else has. And we can go, oh. <laughs> and then maybe there's yeah. even. And this actually, I'm, I'm cutting through my act one rewrite that I wasn't going to read. This is <laughs> this cuts to the meat of it. I love this. Um, you have a traumatic sad bruce wayne recount his his you know uh experience to uh no to vicky uh, uh, like she's interviewing me like this fucking weirdo was a gangster and he said some some haunting thing i'll never forget it do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight oh it's haunted my dreams forever and then we go oh fucking ah!" (laughs) like you know what would be an interesting twist actually is if you have dramatic irony Batman, like Bruce Wayne knows that his parents were killed by someone who said, did you, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And then Jack says, or Joker at that point says it to the mob boss before he kills him, but then never says it again in the movie. And so Batman never finds out that he was the guy, (laughs) but we know that would be, that's great. That would be nuts. I mean, Batman's a detective. He should probably figure it out, but still also, Kudos to this movie. Batman does some detective work in this movie, and that is something he does not often do in Batman movies. Ba- Batman is the only person in Gotham with a chemistry set where it's like, <laughs> how is Joker poisoning everyone? We can't figure this out. And he's like, here you go. 
I figured it out. <laughs> the Gotham's police are not the best. <laughs> no, yeah, I, they, they don't do anything in this movie. No, they can't plan a parade. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they don't even go near the parade. Yeah, they can't plan <laughs> their own parade, wild. and they can't stop I guess, the other I one. guess the Joker got his permits. <laughs> yeah, he got his float permit. <laughs> the cops in this movie aren't even good at being corrupt cops, because they unsuccessfully kill Jack Napier at the behest of the mob boss. <laughs> I love uh, I love the the guy who played Eckhart, the, the, the corrupt detective. He's just like a great gothic detective i just i just loved like his his raspy voice just like how disheveled it is it was perfect i loved it a little stubby cigar yeah 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 i liked uh, i like the idea of kind of of somehow kind of wrapping sort of um kind of wrapping batman up uh, or at least you know the wayne murder kind of in with the mobsters because that was actually one of my changes was sort of like i want i need some sort of connective tissue between batman and and like the whole of the organized crime right so uh, so yeah, so having some yeah, just some sort of connection, or maybe having some sort of like, uh, one of my notes was having just like, um, maybe because it's kind of established that he's this is kind of very early on in the Batmaning that he's only been out for a little while and no one's really sure who he is and there's the rumors and stuff. So yeah, maybe having it something to do with the effect of of his and you know it doesn't have to be a direct connection, but something along the effect of that when his parents were murdered when when uh, that that was sort of like the downfall of Gotham. And maybe you've got two simultaneous things happening where you've got the 200th, the, the, yeah, 200, the, the, centen- the bicentennial celebration, but also it's like the something, something anniversary of the Wayne murders. And maybe that's kind of why, you know, Batman's coming out at this time. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, yeah. And also like kind of, you know, kind of gunning, gunning after, gunning after Grissom already in some way, shape or form, uh, you know, without even knowing that, Nicholson shot his shot Martha. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be um particularly interested in like the the gangsters at first, no. right? And yeah, you don't get a you don't get a good sense of like his his process as the Batman, right? Uh and and what he's trying to shut down and 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 who he's trying to trying to fight kind of thing, you know. Yeah, he just kind of like he just seems to more like randomly show up to places. Yeah, he's not very good at saving people either. I mean, he's he sort of just doesn't save anyone in the museum when Joker kills everyone in the museum. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The parade, a lot of people die in the parade before he shows up with the with the with his cool plane before he takes the balloons. Uh, so yeah, he blows up the chemical factory. Uh, like kills everyone inside there who knows what damage happened after that I'm like he's not good at saving people he's not good at this look he's still we just established it's very early in the Batman (laughs) he hasn't mastered my training wheels he's on superhero probation (laughs) yeah he's like look I have an oath to not kill anyone deliberately Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know the other than all of these people I've killed I'm not gonna shoot anyone yeah (laughs) With my hand. A a lot of our listener comments were were sort of commenting on this is the murderiest Batman yet. Um, But I was fine. I get why they wanted to blow up a chemical factory. You got to have some action in your movie. I get throwing Joker off a ledge. Like, I know Batman doesn't kill, but weirdly that was, I wasn't, I didn't find it egregious (laughs) in this movie. I think because it is such a standalone, like, perfect little nugget of its own thing it's not trying to again build a universe or a mm. sequel bait or yeah i actually did note how many people he killed in this movie and was <laughs> yeah, surprised by like, it but. yeah <laughs> batman doesn't kill until he does a lot i think for me like i um 
I think I'm watching it through my um, 10 year old glasses a little bit because I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know at that time that that's, that was a part of the Batman ethos is that he didn't kill. So it was just like a normal action movie yeah. to me where everybody exactly. dies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to kill the villain at the end. That's just what happens. That's just how a movie ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little bit more on the, on some of the connective tissue. This is a small thing that just sort of bugged me, but you don't understand like why um, the Joker has such an aptitude for chemistry until Bruce Wayne has a throwaway line about that being in his criminal record that he was good at it, good at chemistry, and that's why he was able to create this this concoction that that uh, that kills people in combination with different uh, 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 body care uh, things. So I. I just wish, like, I think it would be so simple just to make a quick change where his lair is very clearly inside the chemical plant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he's do when we have that scene where he's like cutting pictures out and stuff like that, just set that in the chemical plant so we know that he's like he's in there and that's sort of just like something he's noodling around with. Um, because, because he, you know, otherwise it doesn't really, he doesn't seem to be all that connected to the chemical plant other than falling into it. Like it's like, I, you know, I know that like the mob was sort of like connected to the, the chemical plant, but he's not, you know, it's not clear that that's what he's up to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, I think that's solid. Yeah. Most of the things that I would have for like so-called fixes for this movie would be, relatively minor because i think it's you know it's a pretty decent action movie for the most part that doesn't really need to be like any sort of like major uh, reworkings or anything like it's it's you know for an an 80s action movie it's got probably more plot than most of them have had, right so <laughs> yeah. can can i can i cut plot. the part where just like where um alfred just invites vicky into the cave <laughs> just just by the way here she is <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm gonna break your secret for you. Here you go. Again, it's it's early in the Batman mythos. We need to set <laughs> yeah. some boundaries with Alfred. Alfred. Uh, like, <laughs> I no. I meant when I said no one. I meant no one. <laughs> like he was not even not even Gary. No, not Gary. In fairness to Alfred, Bruce was going to reveal to Vicky of his own volition that he was Batman and got interrupted. So true. I yeah. mean, it's it's forgivable because he was already going to tell her. And then Alfred is just like, yeah, no, he's Batman. Come on. Some, somewhere um, <laughs> somewhere in an alternate universe, that scene plays out in like a Seinfeld fashion where they just start yelling at each other. Like, I thought you were going to tell her you were the Batman. And like, <laughs> I was going to tell her I was the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do it on my terms. Yeah. It does make for a good joke in the sequel when he talks about letting Vicky Bale. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The, the Batcave <laughs> willy nilly. Yeah. So, it's fine. It's you know, I, I just I didn't I don't really care for most of the uh, the '80s thrown in romance subplots. Most of them suck. Um, yeah. This one's not really any different. Um, and especially with Batman, I actually I just kind of like Batman without love interest. I, like it, it kind of works for the Nolan stuff, I guess. But like after having watching this the latest Batman, like. I kind of like it better when the only sort of like romance thing that he's got going on is is with a potentially a villainous character because I think that's much more interesting to yeah. Batman. Like he's just you know he's so out for justice and yet like he's he's being tempted by Talia Al Ghul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes a great uh, addition to his uh, his character. Yeah. 
at the very least, I like what what Scott said about the just having the Joker not get hot for Vicky because that's now every male in the movie goes like you know ogles her and and gets horny for her. And, and I mean, that's not a Joker has motivation to go after her if she's the reporter who's reporting on Batman. Like that's mm-hmm. that's good enough. That's good enough for him to want to kidnap her in the third act. So you don't really need for him to be obsessed with her. Yeah. Um. No, I think I think we've we fixed it. It is a pretty tight movie. Uh, ties up all its loose ends. Any you know nitpicks are are obvious. Yeah, I like I like it. I'm assuming nobody else had any further. No, if he I did, I was just I like, we're, we're done this part now. Sweet. Nope, that's pretty much it. Other than did, yeah. the yeah. question is the question is Liam, did our did our listeners have fixes? Yes, it's uh, they certainly did. They certainly had thoughts. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at I Have Some Notes and on Instagram at I Have Some Notes Pod. You comment, we read them. Let's do it. It's that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna <laughs> read them. Uh, Aaron Beaver, I agree with this comment quite a bit. Uh, more prints. Uh, all caps, more prints. The fact that he wrote a whole album and they didn't even give him a little cameo, like a little vanilla ice in Secret of the Ooze, like, you know, moment uh, was strange. I'm, uh, I actually want to jump a little ahead in the listener comments because I think that ties directly into later on when Muncie comments, instead mm-hmm. of Danny Elfman and Prince doing separate soundtracks, force them to collaborate somehow. I think that's... I think that's right. I think that Aaron and, and Muncie are both correct here. Danny Elfman and Prince should have worked together and created something with more Prince. On the other hand, then we wouldn't have this iconic and epic Danny Elfman score, but still. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor J says, no way Alfred should have gave up the secrets to Vicky after <laughs> like meeting her twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would I can also comment on Alfred. Alfred's one hell of a hell of a gopher because there's that scene earlier on where he like where, where where Bruce says Alfred go get find go get everything from the police that they have on Jack Napier and he's just like all right and just takes off and comes back with like the file and they never kind of like he just he just went and asked for it like he just like there is there a filing system somewhere they have I just it was it made me laugh just because he shows up with like here's that file I found for you from the police they just again. Police are not very good. No, apparently not, because a it's very a library old man just walked in and took a bunch of files. I mean, thirty years later, Alfred's still going to do some of the detective work for Batman. Yeah, uh, it's not a spoiler, but in the Batman, Andy Circus shows up with a bunch of clues in a scene. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> Alfred's on. He's it. the real Batman. I'm, here's here's the thing. I, I am I am okay with Batman and Alfred being a team. I'm yes. very okay with Alfred like actively helping Batman in his detective work. But I kind of agree that <laughs> this is weird and that he's just like, go get the thing. And then he shows back up with the thing. Maybe add a, a scene there where he gets the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's yeah. a bit missing. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Runham says, what if Batman was played by that guy from Twilight? Alfred was played by Gollum from Lord of the Rings and the Joker was the Irish dude from Eternals. Just spitballing. Jay, this movie was made in 1989. Yeah, <laughs> and so. none of those things were things yet. In fact, I think two of those things weren't born yet. <laughs> yeah, those both both those guys are my age. <laughs> um, Chris says Batman eighty nine would have been the perfect time to turn Alfred into A L F R E D the talking Batmobile. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Alfred spelled out you know, like an acronym. And if he was voiced by Mister Feeney, from yes. Boy Meets World. <laughs> 
I'm <laughs> I'm just yes ending all of this. Jeff Sampson now says it's not actually that out of place with whatever phase of the MCU we're currently in. It has a good sense of its source material, some humor throughout, an excellent villain, and entertaining action sequences. The romance is meh, if not dodgy in hindsight. I think we all agree with Jeff yep. there. Yep. Renee comments, uh, change the dynamic and motivations between Batman, Vicky Vale, and Joker. Someone's infecting Gotham's prominent, powerful elite with a substance that causes them to laugh bizarrely while making the most bizarre and indecipherable political and business proclamations. And Vale is out to drive the culprit into the limelight where the Cape Crusader is waiting to take him down. No need for white knighting or damsel in distress, just a reporter working under unorthodox conditions as her editor and publisher have both fallen to the Joker syndrome. Mm. I mean, that's a solid beginning to the movie, actually. Yeah. It, yeah. it cuts out the Joker origin a little bit. I think it's interesting if Vicky maybe starts on the Batman and then this more interesting case with Joker shows up. Maybe that's the way to do it uh, when yeah. when Joker becomes a thing. I don't know. It's, there's definitely I, a good idea here, though. I bailed on my, like I said, I had I had machinations for a act one rewrite that I just couldn't quite get stacked. But my my version of this movie also cuts most of the Joker's origin uh, and has Batman uncover it later. That's fair, uh, as opposed to watching it all happen in the first act of the movie. And I mean, I'm almost uh, I'm almost more okay with that than getting the flashback to Thomas and Martha getting murdered. Yeah having a flashback to the Joker becoming the Joker. Jeff Sampson now, again, thinking on it more, the villains in Burton's Batman are some of the most entertaining comic book movies, period. Kate Blanchett is probably the best example of crushing it while chewing scenery since then. I'm ignoring the grittier movies here. I agree, and it's almost a shame that they kill the Joker off at the end of this movie, because, I mean... The more iconic place for the Joker to end up is to go and cool his heels at Arkham Asylum for a while before his next heist. I get that they're not expecting a sequel, so they're kind of trying, as Greg put it earlier, to tell a complete story. And the more complete story is that the Joker's reign of terror ends rather abruptly and finally off the top of a building. But uh, yeah, like it's, it's kind of a shame that he died at the end of the movie because he could have turned up in a sequel if there was a sequel. Is there any Batman villain in this era of the Batman movies that lives? Catwoman. Catwoman. That's right. Yeah. Um, And then once we get into the Schumacher ones, they don't generally die. I think Two-Face is the one exception there. Oh, yeah, this Edward, I don't remember is it if Edward Numa oh, yeah. lives or not. He's he's a, he's a crazy person in Arkham Asylum get, at the end, yeah. but he survives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just have this vision of like movies of this era just always killing the villain no matter what. Always, so, always yeah, off a high ledge. Sort of like mistaken yeah. there. Or turning Bane into a plant monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Harley Muncie says maybe Batman does less murders or <laughs> double down and give him a gun. I mean, he has two guns in the Batmobile, as I recall. Oh, yeah. He's fond of his guns. It's on, on the Batmobile, the Batplane. Uh, yeah. I'm still. I still don't understand at, at the scene at the end where, um, yeah, he's in the bell tower, and like, yeah, the guy comes, does the flips, and he like has the knives in his boots, and Batman sticks out his hand, and something pops out. Like, what was that yeah. that popped out of his his thing? Was it just Door like, stop. yeah, was it, it, it just it happened it so quickly? His bad just, palm guard. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it looked like. It's like was from a skateboard. Like, is that what it was? His wrist guards, and that was it. He's kind of like a little bit of a Inspector Gadget. 
<laughs> in a way. He gets more and more like that as as those movies progress and into the the Schumacher era. Yeah. I will say this. Um, I remember playing a DC role-playing game years and years and years ago. I don't even remember what the system was. It was a very old DC role-playing game. And uh, I was playing Batman in the little adventure that we were running through. And one of Batman's powers was in addition to this long list of equipment that he had on him because he's Batman and he's a gadget guy and he has all sorts of stuff. There were like six slots that were just, this is whatever you need at the time that you need it. That was part of his superhero kit is just because Batman's a master planner and he's always got the right tool on the job. There were six empty slots, which you could fill in as you needed it with what you needed in that moment. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly shark Batman. Shark repellent. <laughs> yeah, that's where your yeah. shark repellent comes in. And the GM, a good GM would just be like, yeah, yeah, of course you've got that. <laughs> You're Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, Alex B comments, make it brighter. It's so dark. I can't see half of what's going on. Maybe like neon and rave music for sure. Oh, <laughs> and the bat suit has to have some nipples, obviously. You know, that's even, that's not even the stuff I dislike about the Joel Schumacher movies. <laughs> Schumacher was trying to recapture some of the sixties camp from Batman. And that's why like, you've got all the Dutch angles and you've got the more witty banter between Batman and Robin. I get what he was going for. It's just, he was very bad at doing it and the movies were not good. Um. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. just, yeah. They just kind of, I think they're, they're just like a, a type of camp that I'm not into um, or, or just maybe that just wasn't executed well enough to really. Yeah. And I, I, I think because um, it strays so far from yeah. what Tim Burton started out with that, you know, it, it, it's maybe just too much of a change in expectations for the audience. Yeah, especially because they were being set up as sequels to the Tim Burton Batman movies, right? Like, they, they are canonically what happens next. And they are such, there's such tonal whiplash between them that yeah. I think that turned off a lot of people, for sure. I, I was going to say, the one thing I always felt even about is, that, as I, is in a, in a, and I kind of go back to my comment about Nicholson and the Joker, about how he just... He he kind of over almost overwhelms everything, as I kind of felt that they that his same energy was was they tried to repeat that all the way through. So even when you get to Batman Returns, you've got the Penguin as being this like yeah very verbose kind of campy kind of kind of caricature, uh, which is not really kind of his his character type. But then obviously as you get into the Schumacher, it's just sort of you're kind of just taking that same sort of that style and just applying it sort of like copy pasting it to every villain keep as you move forward um so so yeah again, I think with the with the schumacher ones he he was reaching back to the adam west 60s batman and yeah. if you watch those episodes every villain is like that because yeah. it's some big star that they invited to come and have and dress up in a costume and have fun for a day yeah and so they're all just completely chewing all the scenery and hamming it up and doing these big over the top characters, whether they're playing the Joker or the penguin or the Riddler or whoever. And that's again, that's a hundred percent what Joel Schumacher was going for. It's just that he was bad at doing it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time to get into it, but I, I have a very soft spot for Batman forever. I, it was hashtag Liam's Batman for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I know, like a lot of people, crap on Jim Carrey's performance on that. But I, I, I was a Jim Carrey fan as a, at yeah, that time, and yeah, it's yeah, I still, I still dig his shtick. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, of the of the two villains <laughs> in that movie, he is he is not the worst of them. <laughs> and it should have been Billy D. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep it canonical. Yeah, Celebi. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been that's been a hundred a uh, hundred episode fixes. Uh, we obviously get comments on our movies uh, and the the fixes therein. Um, but longtime listener. Um, uh, just absolutely appreciate the support from this fellow. We have, we have a, a listener comment just on a hundred episodes at large from the one and only Nathan Martin, uh, Nathan comments. Oh, damn. I'm always so bad at this. I'm trying to remember specific parts of things I enjoy. Uh, I actually thought I had a good memory, but then I went back to the episode list and realized that I think I just made that memory up, <laughs> which is really weird. I just love listening to the show. Have been for a long time. And I say, keep going. Well, thank you, Nathan. I, I love the show. Can't remember anything about it. Super good. Keep going, you guys. <laughs> we uh, we also got a, a message from uh, um, uh, Three Kitchens podcast to our uh, fellow APN members. So let's play that. This is Sarah. This is Aaron. And Heather. From Three Kitchens podcast. Congratulations. Congratulations, Congratulations on 100 episodes. And cheers to 100 more. We're definitely not doing a hundred more. <laughs> I can't. I like that. It took us six years to get mm-hmm. to a hundred. Hey. Like I cannot imagine doing this. Never <laughs> say for never. Another Greg. six years. <laughs> never say never. We'll get to the point where we're, where our kids are old enough that they can come on and guest an episode. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be uh, reviewing Peppa Pig or or whatever the big thing is. <laughs> we're saving orphan boys from. Uh, uh, the circus to come take on the mantle of talking about podcasts no one asked or talking about movies no one uh, asked us to talk about it's a family <laughs> tradition and you're gonna accept it dang it yeah <laughs> i have some notes junior yeah there you go <laughs> the next generation <laughs> i have some notes the next generation <laughs> i love it uh yeah thank you very much for uh, for being on the show colin hey guys thanks for having me uh congratulations again uh for all of your guys' uh the hard work and the that's a that's a lot of movies to watch uh, a lot of sub sub uh not great movies so uh <laughs> congratulations to all you guys and yeah keep going i think it's a, it's it's a lot of fun sweet anything else you want to plug no i got really nothing going on i'm on i'm on instagram at colin mcintyre draws and that's pretty much it where i'm just uh it's all about the oiler fan control panel this uh this week so that's uh, that's all I got going. Are you still you're still doing like pinup drawings and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, still yeah, still dabbling in some artwork and just just general silliness. So really, not much different over the past six years. Just still on the Instagram now. Well, uh, wherever it is you are listening to this episode, we encourage you to please give us a review, a like, a subscribe. Uh, it really does help us out. Whatever button they want you to press, give us a press about it. Hey, you know who might have made a better Batman? Tony Danza. That's certainly what repodcasting might have suggested. Hosts Janet, Lucia recast your favorite and not so favorite movies. You can find them right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And what movie we'll be doing for 101? No idea just yet. Keep an eye on our social media. We'll put up a poll and uh, we'll have you vote on the next film. Until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies for the Bat Signal.